This is the Conduit Church Podcast. It is our mission to be a conduit of Jesus to the community in front of us and the world around us. Thanks for joining us for this week's teaching. We are going to dive into um, this sermon series. We, we launched uh, a sermon series a year and a half ago, maybe almost two years now, called the Believe Series through the book of John. And um, that took us a while to get through because around here we go verse by verse, chapter by chapter, and we took as long as we needed to. And, and if the book of John wasn't enough, we decided, let's go check out the other books John has written. Uh, First John. And so we launched this series last week called Don't Stop Believing um, because John is very repetitive in his writing. And he's repetitive for a reason. It's because the believers, he's writing to the church and the believers within the church would keep forgetting the things, the biblical principles that were being taught. And so he would repeat himself over and over and over and just reminding them, don't stop believing. This Jesus, this Christ, is real and is powerful. And these are the things that you need to remember. And so last week we learned in 1 John chapter one um, that Darren taught us the importance of fellowship with God, the importance of fellowshipping with him. And so we're into chapter two, into chapter two of 1 John. And I'm gonna read our next passage here. I don't have the verses behind me, but uh, of course, if you have your Bible, ask that you just read along. And if you take notes, uh, if you mark in your Bible or highlight in your Bible, I would ask that, uh, that you do that this morning because there's a few, few portions in here that I would just ask that you underline as it all kind of ties together as we take away what he has for us this morning. Starting in chapter three, this is John writing specifically to the church at Ephesus. He's writing to believers. He's reminding them of these things. Starting in verse three. And by this, we know that we have come to know him, underline know him. If we keep his commandments, whoever says, I know him, underline, but does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him, underline. But whoever keeps his word in him, underline, truly the love of God is perfected. By this, we may know that we are in him, underline again. Whoever says he abides in him, underline, ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Are you seeing a pattern? Verse seven, beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you in which is true in him, underline, and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. And whoever loves his brother abides, underline, in the light and in him, underline. There is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Go ahead and skip down to verse 15. The previous verses here just repeat what he just said second time, but verse 15, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the father is not in him. Underline. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides, underline, forever. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the power of your word. 
the living word that transforms us today. So we pray for just a spirit of humility to be in the room, that it would uh, allow us to hear your voice through your scriptures, through your teaching today in your name. Amen. The main kind of takeaway from this, this passage really is a reminder to stay in him, stay in the light. And staying in the light allows us to obey his commands. Staying in the light allows us to love others. Staying in the light. It reminds me of a story um, of learning photosynthesis for the first time. Okay, probably high school biology class at some point. Um, freshman, sophomore year. Learning about photosynthesis, okay, which is just a fundamental way in which light affects plants. And plant light is converted into energy, okay? So if you're in if a plant is in the light, in direct sunlight, it allows it to grow. It allows it to feed, get the food and um, the minerals that it needs um, and produce fruit, produce leaves, whatever it needs comes from the light and allows it to grow. And this is the word picture that John is using here for us, that when we are in the light, good things happen. So photosynthesis, I remember learning photosynthesis my sophomore year because an interesting event happened. Okay, one of those events that seemingly only happens to someone like me, these goofy events. And so sophomore Mo is in his science class. And if you remember in science class, you have these high desks that are like really big black tops that you do your science experiments on and they're usually really wide. And this row of desks was slid up against a wall that was full of windows. Okay, and so me not really loving science class, I would sit in the back row. Okay, I'm just in the back row and all the way to the far left up against the window. Because in the late 1900s, in the school that I went to, we did not have air conditioning. Okay, come on. Um, the windows were open so you could maybe catch a breeze on a hot summer day. A few rows up is a young man also sitting next to the window who apparently, seemingly, in this moment, during science class, as we're learning about photosynthesis, begins to... Um, perform his own science experiment. Um, and what that entailed was him taking some things out of his backpack and begins to kind of roll it up. All right. It was a biology class, so maybe he was confused. I mean, it was, there was grass on his table and he starts rolling it up and doesn't use the Bunsen burner to light it, but he uses his lighter. And the next thing we know, this classmate of mine is enjoying a mid-afternoon snack, should we say. He's smoking on the front row. And, you know, I'm the good little Baptist kid in the back uh, who's like, does anybody else see what's happening? Like, he's smoking. Can I say joint? In the front row, and the teacher is oblivious. Do we have any science teachers in the room? God bless you. You were nothing like Mr. Turner, my science teacher, who was heads down reading the book and as boring as all get out. He was clueless what was happening. Now, this young man was sitting against next, again next to the window and hiding it out the window. I was downwind. <laughs> and so within about 20 minutes of me kind of realizing what, that, what is that smell? What, what is going on? And the room spinning a little bit. Um, I'm all of a sudden needing a nap and some Doritos. <laughs> and no one noticed. I, I, I'd never forget it. No one noticed. But what I do remember is the fact that I learned about photosynthesis that day. 
And I'll never forget photosynthesis. So every time I hear the word photosynthesis, I think of that story. And I felt compelled to share that with you this morning. (laughs) Being in the light is the main takeaway from this scripture. He starts in verse three, three through six, where he talks about imitating him, that we imitate Christ alone. I'm gonna read these verses again. And by this, we know that we have come to know him If we keep his commandments, whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this, we know that we are in him. And whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. It's important that we notice in this verse that we are to imitate Christ look like Christ, that our belief in him dictates our behavior, that we can say that we know Christ, not do anything that looks like knowing Christ, God calls you a liar. I I didn't say it. John said it. But he's repeating what Jesus was saying. Calls you a, a liar. Our behavior should be evidence of our belief in him. It's it's just a reminder of the consistency that we should have in our behavior based upon our belief. And many times it's, we we, we get it backwards. What he's saying here, it's, it's not obey, therefore I am loved. It should be, I'm loved, therefore I obey. I think a lot of us grew up in a transactional faith environment where if we did these things, we would be loved. Christ came and turned that completely upside down. And he is saying that you are loved. And because you are loved, out of that overflow, I want to obey you. I want to follow you. I want to imitate you. Follow your commands. John 14, 15. Again, John is quoting Jesus here. He says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Regarding verse six, this is language that he's repeating. John is repeating himself again from John 15, verse four. Abide in me, remain in me, stay in me, rest in me, depending on your translation, and I in you. As the the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. He's repeating himself over and over and over, reminding us, that we are to be in the light, that we are to be grafted in the vine, that he is the vine, we are the branches, and if we are in the light, in the vine, we will grow. You will bear fruit. Anything apart from that will fail. And he's reminding us of this, to imitate him, to look like him. Otherwise, we're faking it. We're just all talk. And he's warning us, he's warning specifically the church to not be all talk. But this is out of an overflow of love that he has for us. And I have to believe in a room this size, there's someone in this room that needs to hear that you are loved by Christ. You are loved by him. You are not forgotten. You are not alone. He loves you. And these verses on the screen are just a a snippet of the verses that exist 
that remind us of his love, starting with John 3.16. It's a very familiar passage, of course. Many of us see it laying around the house or maybe at grandma's house posted on the wall. John 3.16, we all know this verse, but it's important to remind us, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. He died for you. He loves you that much. I could probably put another 80 verses on the screen that would remind you of his love for you. He loves you. And that love comes from abiding in him, in the vine, in the light. If you remain in him, stay in him. You will feel and know the love of the Father. And out of that, you will imitate what it looks like to be a follower of Christ. And he continues this thought in verse seven. He says, beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Now, John is, is kind of jumpy when he writes, clearly. He bumps around between word pictures and, and he's very repetitive. And this little passage can maybe be a little confusing, but he's reminding them of the old commandment. And the old commandment that he's referring to is in Leviticus 19.18, when he said, love your neighbor as yourself. That was the highest standard of love before Christ. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's all you would know to do. It was a self-love. If you love yourself, this is how you would treat your brother. If you love yourself, however you love yourself is how you should treat your brother or sister. But then Christ comes along and changes it up completely. And he gives a new command. This is Christ's love. John 13, 34. Love one another as I have loved you. It's completely different. Not as you love yourself. You love one another as I have loved you. Completely, holy, with forgiveness that allows us to love one another in a completely different way because you were loved. And he says, by, all, by this, all people will know that you are my disciple. They will know that you are imitating Christ if you love in this way. They will know that you are a follower of Christ if you are loving in this way. You will have fruit as a part of the vine. Continues in verse nine, whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. And whoever loves his brother abides, remains, stays in the light. And in him, there is no cause for stumbling. There was a, uh, a recent survey, survey of about 2000 people that a, a light manufacturer uh, put together. They, wanted, they did a survey. They wanted to see how many people were afraid of the dark. Okay, so I know the answer to this survey. It's about 2,000 people. Um, I'm curious if people have the courage to actually be honest if you're afraid of the dark because I have a feeling that this number is not going to line up to what I'm about to see right now. So how many are afraid of the dark? Be honest. You're just afraid of the dark in one way or another. You all are lying. Because <laughs> this survey says that 49% of you are afraid of the dark in some way. Two people in this room raised their hands. It's okay. It's all right. We're working through our honesty and being transparent. 34% of those people were not only just afraid of the dark, but they were afraid of what could be hiding in the dark. 
of what could be hiding in the dark. And so I ask the question, who or what is casting a shadow in your heart? Who or what is casting a shadow in your heart? Take inventory. Because according to this, there's no room for darkness if we're remaining in the light. There's no room. It's impossible. Light cannot fellowship with darkness. It's impo- Scientifically, logically, spiritually, cannot happen. And he's reminding us of this. In fact, it's a repeat of John 1, verse 5. He says, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So my encouragement to you, church, is that whatever that thing is in your heart, perhaps, that is casting a shadow, there's, there's hurt. Maybe there's an instance of betrayal, a transgression of some sort. Some hidden sin in your life is casting a shadow that's not, not allowing the light of Christ to shine so bright that others would notice. Take inventory this morning. Light overcomes the dark every time. Illuminate the love of Christ. Imitate Christ alone. Illuminate his commands. And then eliminate worldly things. And this is where John continues on this thought about making sure that you are in the light because there are so many things that pull us towards darkness because we live in the world. We live in the fallen world. Outside of these four walls is chaos. Absolute, utter chaos. Starting in verse 15, he reminds us of this. Do not love the world or the things in the world. That's an imperative, by the way. Do not do this. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not even in him. Reminder. He is speaking to the church when he's writing this. This is not a gospel message. This is a reminder to those that believe. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides, remains forever. The world It's an ugly place ruled by Satan himself. This is his domain. And he's doing everything he can to keep you from the light. Everything. 1 John 5, 19, spoiler alert. I know we're going through this chapter verse at a time, but skip ahead. In chapter five, verse 19, he says, the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we feel it, we know. We get that sense that there's, Problems in the world. We, we see it. We feel it every day. We rub up against it all the time. There is darkness in the world that's pulling us away from the light of Christ. There are things that get between us and the light of Christ. And John's calling it out in three very specific categories. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. The lust of the flesh, wrong desires of the heart, the appetite of indulging all things that excite and inflame sensual pleasures. The lust of the flesh, he says, stay away from it. 
Stay away from the lust of the eyes. The eyes are delighted with riches and rich possessions, the lust of covetousness, wanting and desiring something that's not yours and that you don't need, but you can't help but think about it and pursue it with everything that you have that keeps you away from the light. In the pride of life, craving the vain and glorious life, it includes the thirst of honor and applause and recognition. He says to stay away from it. Pursuing any one of those three, two of those three, all three of those three things will keep you from the light of Christ and will cast a shadow that does not need to exist. And in fact, it takes you away from being in the vine of Christ and you start to wither and you're planting your own garden over here apart from the vine and you wonder why your leaves are withering and your branches are falling off and your fruit is spoiled because you're not attached to the vine. You have decided to be your own gardener, sowing your own seeds and fruit and try to develop something apart from Christ and it's falling apart. And John is reminding us to stop it, to abandon it, abandon the garden that you've planted on your own. It is not worth anything. In fact, he says, if you do that, if, you, if, you, if any one of these three things is you, you have a root problem. You have a root problem, which leads to a fruit problem. Without fruit, you are not imitating Christ because he says, they will know you by the love that you have for others and that they will know that you are my disciple. Fruit. He actually takes it a step further. He says, when our desires are leveraged, to gain meaning and purpose in our lives, it separates us from the love of the Father. When our desires are leveraged to gain meaning and purpose, it separates us from the love of the Father. Don't leverage those things that are of the world, that are worldly. They are only meant to destroy you. Now, here's the thing. Having physical, sexual, emotional desires eyes to see beauty, a desire to be successful and ambition. At the core, those things aren't inherently wrong. Those are desires that are innate to us, that we would see and know beauty and have ambition and desire for great things. That's not what he's saying. He's just saying when those things are directed at the world, they will fall and fail. But when we pursue those things through the vine and in the light of Christ, they will prosper. They will flourish there is fruit to be had. And then he goes on to say in Exodus 34, I've never seen this verse before. It's, it's, it's harsh, as if some of, this other, some of these other verses weren't harsh enough. This gets even harsher. It's a reminder. Exodus 34, 14 says, For thou shalt worship no other God, for the Lord, whose name is Jealous, with a capital J, is a jealous God. His name is jealous. He is jealous for you. His heart breaks when he sees you apart from him. When you walk away, and then this next verse I'm gonna read says basically you commit adultery with the world. He's jealous for you. He wants all of you. He wants you back. And that jealous, the word jealous in Hebrew means demanding exclusive service. 
He demands your exclusivity to him and him alone, to nothing else, especially not in this world. James 4.4, 4, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Whew. Do you realize the heft of that? What he's saying here, this is a strong warning to not entertain worldly things. It's a strong warning for us to take inventory of our lives and see, are those, is there anything that fits in those three categories, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life that is directed away from the light that's casting the shadow on our hearts and other people? I ask that you do that this morning. Eliminate those things that stand in the way. Eliminate them. Get rid of them. They're not worth it. It's fool's gold. I found this quote from Clive Staples Lewis. Did you know that CS stood for Clive Staples? I didn't. CS Lewis says this. If you live for the next world, you get this one in the deal. But if you live for only this world, you lose them both. Such a simple thought and such a good reminder. If you live for the next world, if you live for the kingdom, all these things will be added unto you if you are in Christ. If you seek him first, all these things will be added unto you. That's what he says. What Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, Seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added. We have no business pursuing them on our own outside of Christ, none. But when we do that, we lose them both. We're lost, confused, we're hurt, no fruit, we're withering away. And if photosynthesis doesn't happen, we die. You die. You die. We wanna live full Lives, abundant lives that are bearing fruit for ourselves, for future generations. We want to continue to make disciples. We have work to do in the kingdom. We want this light to shine so bright that the world can't help but be drawn to it. So church, I ask, I ask that you take inventory of these three areas. What ways can you practically start walking with Christ? How can you start imitating Christ this week? What does that look like? What does it look like to imitate Christ in your life on a day-to-day -day basis? What's that look like? Pray about it. What are some steps that you can take to start walking with the Lord and imitate him? Illuminate. What are ways that you can shine the light of his love? Perhaps there's someone in your life that you're holding on to. Something happened and you're holding on to that thing that's casting that shadow where it's, your heart's not fully illuminated. And now's the time for you to offer forgiveness. Now's the time for you to show them love. Now's the time to make it right. Because you are so in the light that darkness has to flee. It has to be removed. Eliminate. What's something you can eliminate this week? The worldly things that are in your life. 
be still long enough to actually maybe look around and see how influenced you are by the world. We get so consumed in our day-to-day, I think we don't necessarily see or understand all of the ways in which you are influenced by the world. All of those things that are not of Christ. It's like being on a really bad diet. Things that we are taking in have no business taking in to our hearts, to our minds. Eliminate them. Eliminate them. It's not good for you. He says this over and over and over. Imitate, illuminate, and eliminate. Would you stay in the light this week? I know we're going through a season of prayer and fasting um, together as a church. And perhaps um, you've already started to eliminate some things. And maybe after these 21 days, um, you'll decide to continue to keep those things cut off because you want to look more like Christ. And perhaps those, there's those in the room that, that aren't joining us in, in the fasting portion. All of that means is that you would just take a look of what those things are in your life that don't need to be there. Those things that, that, that cause you to lean into the world rather than leading into Christ. That's all that that is. And that you would pursue him first. Those cravings that you have, I mean, all, who's cutting out sweets? Like a bunch of us, right? Those cravings that we have during that moment, that's speaking something to us. Like we're craving some things. It would be my prayer that over these next few weeks leading into these few months of 2024 that we would, we would have such a craving for his word. We would have such a craving for time of worship. We would have such craving for times of prayer in our personal lives that we can't go without it. That we are drawn to it. That we notice when it's missing and not the other way around. So that's my challenge to you this week, church. Find yourself in the light. You will grow from it. Fruit will grow. People will notice. You get to tell them about the good news of the gospel. Would you stand as we pray? Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters in this room. Would you give us courage? Would you give us courage to walk away from those things of the world that bring us nothing but death and destruction? Lord, that we would pursue you and you alone that we would follow your spirit as you lead us, that your light would illuminate our path, that we don't have to guess on anything. We can just follow the light. Lord, thank you for the freedom that's found in that. Lord, we don't have to do anything but just to be in you, to rest in you and to abide in you. Lord, thank you for that freedom. Thank you for that hope. Thank you for that comfort. Lord, I pray for our church family. Watch over them this week. Protect them. Lord, keep the enemy away. Keep the world away. Keep darkness away from this uh, this church family, from this community. Lord, I ask that these disciples follow you and change the world. But may it start with us at home. May it start in our marriages. May it start with our families, with our children. May we be an example of what it looks like to live in the light. May we be an example of what it looks like to live in the vine, to be attached. Lord, I thank you for what you're doing in this body of believers. 
We ask you to, to, to do great things. We look forward to being back in your house next time. In your name, amen.